The Weekend Warrior, every Saturday morning from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. On ESPN LA 710. Dedicated to you, the fan who works hard all week and slugs it out on the court, the field, the big box store, and the honey-do list all weekend long. And helping you cope as you come to the realization you're not 19 any longer. Here's board-certified orthopedic surgeon Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warriors Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai, 33 years. Wow. What an unbelievable week in surgery. Spending time in my office and patients, so many of you. Not necessarily weakened warriors, but people of all shapes and sizes, young, old. It's an awesome journey I've been on in my career to try to understand how the body works. And what a pleasure it is each and every Saturday morning for me to be here with you, to teach you what I've learned over these years. I'm so excited for my guest at 815. Because it's from the world that I spend a lot of time in, keeping me balanced in my life. The intensity of being a surgery, dealing with life and death. My balance is being a sculptor in marble with chisels like Michelangelo used. But it's also being a surfer. And with that hurricane, Sunday and Monday I I went surfing and oh my God. It was awesome. But I need, we all need that balance, that ying and that yang. And today's topic is a fascinating one. I'm sure there's never been a show, TV, movie, or radio ever like this one. Which is why it's so fun when I meet Weekend Warriors It's so interesting to hear when I ask them, what's your favorite show over these 500 plus shows I've done? What's your favorite story? They, they almost have to pause and they always say the same thing. There's so many Dr. Clapper because there's stories that you're not going to hear on any show, which is why this show has been so successful. And I want to thank Rebecca and Tyler and Greg Bergman for helping me behind the scenes, making this show happen each and every Saturday. The great Steve Paulette and Jared Abrams, who are still participating. I can't do it alone. So my guest, thanks to Jared Abrams, James Mosley is calling in at 8.15. And of all the things that you could do with your life, this is uh, something different for you guys to hear about. But it's very near and dear to my heart Because James Mosley is an expert and started a company that makes something that I'm sure none of you have ever even known existed, let alone held it in your hand. But it's surf wax. It's a special material, wax, that's made so that I can rub it on my surfboard that allows my feet to stick better, gives me traction, gives me texture So I don't fall off my slippery surfboard, which is smooth fiberglass. And you're going, okay, glad you're a surfer. I'm glad you use it, Dr. Clapper. But you know what this show is all about. My love for art, my love for sports, my love love for surgery. If that's the topic today, surf wax, texture, traction, staying on that magic carpet that's my surfboard to go from point A to point B in the ocean, I thought all week, okay, where do I see surf wax in your life, my life, in art, in sports? That's relevant, that same story of traction and texture to stay on the magic carpet. Well, there's a song that Rebecca's going to play right now, and I want you to listen to it. It comes from 1964. Eric Burden, one of that British invasion groups right there with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, 
They were called the Animals. And when he was interviewed on Ed Sullivan, why, why is the name of your group the Animals? And Eric Burden, as only Eric Burden can answer, said, because we act like animals. <laughs> we behave like animals. And the more he said that, boy, the girls just loved him even more. But he had a great idea, Eric Burden. I don't have to write original songs, even though he did. I'm going to sing the songs that have been around for hundreds of years and put my own twist on it. So listen to a song that's over 300 years old that he made into one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time called The House of the Rising Sun. Let's listen, Rebecca. Here he is. You can turn it up. This is Eric Burden. You don't sing like this without an anger burning in your heart. That anger comes from where Eric Burden grew up, a godforsaken town, a port city outside of London. Poverty, unemployment, as he called it, a ghetto. There's no hope in that town. The only way Eric Burden gets out of his town The only way Dr. Clapper gets the hell out of Far Rockaway, New York is a magic carpet, a surfboard, if you will, that's going to take me from point A to point B. I need to get the hell out of Far Rockaway. Eric Burden needed to get the hell out of his unemployment, apathy, hopeless town. And for me, it was going to college and going to medical school. That was my surf wax, my texture, my traction to get the hell out. For Eric Burden, it was music. But how did he do it? Well, he'd hang out at the local jazz clubs and listen to music. But something even better happened to him. Because it's a port town where he grew up, just destitute, just awful. But his neighbor was a seaman. He was a merchant marine and could travel all over the world. And his neighbor loved Frank Sinatra. So when he traveled all over the world, particularly to America, he bought albums, music, and shipped them back to this town in England. Get a load of this, though so that the Sinatra records wouldn't get scratched. He needed packing material. So he stacked the Sinatra records that he wanted to keep, this neighbor of Eric Burden's, he's a little kid at the time, with records that he could care less about, records that could be the packing equipment, Lead Belly, Robert Johnson, The music, Chuck Berry, that he had no interest in, that was the packing material. And those records got scratched and destroyed on one side, but the other side was preserved. And when the seaman came home, this little kid is loving music, would say, can I have the record that you're throwing away? And he gave it to him. Eric Burden fell in love with rhythm and blues and music that was being discarded by his apartment mate. And that's where the House of the Rising Sun came from. Eric Burden realized, this is my surf wax to get the hell out of my godforsaken town. What about in the world of sports? Uh, This is an unbelievable story of surf wax In in a person that you're all familiar with, Phil Knight. I don't know Phil Knight, Dr. Clapper. Yes, you do. Because Phil Knight started the largest sports apparel company in the world. He's the 24th richest man, according to Forbes, in the world right now. He started Nike. And he started Nike with $500 from him and his track coach from the University of Oregon, Bill Bowerman. 
Okay, Dr. Clapper, sneakers, Nike, apparel, I get it. Why is that surf wax? Because you're going to be blown away when you hear this story of texture, traction, to get from point A to point B. It was Bill Bowerman, Phil Knight's track coach, his partner in starting Nike, that said, I need to make a better traction, a better texture to move along and improve sneakers. Hey, I got an idea, Bill Bowerman said. Look at my wife's waffle iron. It's in the kitchen. What if I poured polyurethane, gooey plastic, instead of to make a delicious waffle, by the way, Uncle Bill's in Manhattan Beach, the best waffle in Los Angeles, but now my mouth is watering. Thanks for doing that. I'll pour pour polyurethane in the waffle iron. That might give a better texture, traction, to allow a runner to go from point A to point B. And you all know what happened when running shoes had a new sole. S-O-L-E. But they also had a new S-O-U-L. Thanks to Phil Knight, Bill Bowerman, and Nike. And you got to hear that story. It's amazing. So, yeah, there is a connection, Steve Mason, you were wondering. John Ireland, you were wondering. Because the promo is so cool from this show. I tease you all week long. What is the connection between Eric Burden and the animals to Phil Knight and Nike and Surf Wax? Well, there it is. But you got to hear the sound bites, and we'll play them coming up. Clapper Vision, oh, my God. I'm going to do clap revision with the Weekend Warriors. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And I'll take your calls at 745 or at 830 because I want to get through the sound bites. But clap revision is also most valuable, certainly for all of you fantasy football players, because we got a lot of fantasy football injuries. Dak Prescott, he broke his thumb. Oh, he'll be back in four weeks, Jerry Jones says. Yeah, let me explain to you what exactly is happening about this unique bone and joint in your body called the thumb. Here's a clap revision to get you started. A windshield wiper and how it attaches to your windshield. I'll explain later. That's your thumb. What about T.J. Watt? He tore his pec major muscle, had multiple opinions, no surgery, but your pec major Here's a clap revision to have you start thinking about a flagpole and the flag that's flying in the wind is that flag that no longer flies, thank God, that represents the South. Remember that giant X? That was the flag of the South fighting the North in the Civil War. Well, I want you to imagine that flag with the X on it attached to a flagpole. Believe it or not, the flagpole is your arm, your humerus bone, and your pec major, which is right under your nipple in your chest. I'll explain why, to me, it's exactly like that South flag in the Civil War. In terms of how the fibers of the muscles are, I'll explain. And finally, we got to talk about Justin Herbert. Everybody's so relieved he just fractured his rib cartilage. I'm here to tell you, I wish he broke his rib, the bone, and not the rib cartilage. There's 24 ribs that you have. You, in your car, listening to me right now, you got 24 ribs. Seven of them are attached to your breastbone, the sternum. Two of them are called false ribs because they attach to your back, your thoracic spine in the back, but they don't attach to the sternum. They attach to cartilage that then attaches to your sternum. And two of them, 10 through 12, we call those floating ribs. Not false ribs, but floating ribs, because they ain't attaching to cartilage to your breastbone. Clapper vision for Justin Herbert is going to be a fence. A fence that surrounds your yard. But why do I worry about rib cartilage that's fractured more 
than the rib bone. I'm going to explain, and I'll give you, well, I won't even give you a clue. I'll tell you why. It's a more serious injury that takes longer to heal, and I'll explain. Coming up next, oh, my God, and don't forget, we got to talk about food. There's a donut that reminds me of surf wax because it's sticky texture and allows something to be stuck on top to uh, st- stuck on top of it. So we got to talk about surf wax in the world of food, and I'll explain. Coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 7710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. The best entertainer. Forget going to the movies. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. So the Clapper was looking at the flapper. Can you imagine how cool that was? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. There is a house in New Orleans. This is Eric Burden. Ah, welcome back, Weekend Warriors. This man single-handedly changed. And I think he lives in Ojai, I think. He's, how old is he? He's 80, 81. His contribution to rock and roll cannot be overstated. But I want to play another song, Rebecca. A song that really is surf wax. A song that he wrote and sang that really reflects what music did for him. The surf wax that allowed him to get the hell out of his godforsaken neighborhood, which you'll hear him being interviewed in a second. But we got to get out of this place. This is a song that absolutely is true. And it describes his life and why he needed music to be his surf wax, to attach him to that magic carpet to get out of his far rockaway in England. So let's listen. We got to get out of this place. In this dirty old part of the city. Yep, dirty old part. The sun refused to shine. The sun refuses to shine. People tell me there ain't no use in trying. No, ain't no use in trying. Now, my girl, you're so young and pretty. His girlfriend. And one thing I know is true. You'll be dead before your time is yep, due. That's the ghetto he's living in. Watch my daddy in bed and His dad's Watch his losing. right working and slaving his life away i don't want to do that though i don't want that life turn it up i don't want that life i need surf wax yeah we gotta get out of this place how the hell are we gonna get out of here the train is leaving I need to get on that train. That surfboard is going through the wave. It's slippery. Give me the texture. Give me the traction to ride that magic carpet out of this place. For me, it was going to medical school and becoming an orthopedic surgeon. My dad put his arm around me one day and said, Robbie, don't be like me. Look how hard I work. Look how futile it is. You need to use your hands like me if you want, but you got to use your brain. Go to school. I can't help you pay for it, my dad said. But know this, I love you very much, and I'm strong, my dad said. So if you need to help moving from one house, apartment to another, I'll help you. And I got a truck. But get out of this place, Robbie. Go get an education. And that was all I needed to hear. I'm not a student. I'm not naturally gifted. But he lit a fire under me. 
He said to me, when I die, Robbie, I hope you don't have to pay any bills. But I ain't going to be leaving you with anything. And if you got to school, you're going to have to go to work. But this is America. And America allowed me to go to work and be able to pay for an education at an Ivy League school, no less. And trust me, if I can do it, you can do it. And I'm talking to you, the weekend warrior. But Eric Burden, this interview is beautiful. So let's go to yellow number five, Eric Burden being interviewed. And uh, I came in touch with it personally because I had a seaman who lived uh, downstairs to me in the next Wait, apartment. Let's go to he six. would go to. Um, let's go to six. What do you think it would have been like had you never uh, broken out of there? If that had been your world, instead of the inside of the Concorde and uh, hotel rooms across the globe, what do you think uh, Eric Burden would be doing today if you'd never uh, come out of there? As a, as a rock musician? I'd probably be unemployed like everybody else in my hometown. I mean, it's, it's the, the employment, unemployment has been a way of life for, since mm -hmm. World War II. Number seven. And, well, before that, we had, we had the huge um, marches, uh, Jarrow marches uh, in, in the 30s, where the men uh, from my hometown moved en masse to London to mm. demand work. Yes. And uh, they just did the same thing. Uh, last year but they didn't get the support that they had in the 30s nobody was interested mm -hmm. anymore it's uh, it's tough it's it's a very uh, when apathy uh, gets into the bloodstream it's it's tough to to get rid of it and it's um it's it's tough it's a hard situation so i'm setting the table of what this town that he's from is all about got a couple of more sound bites to to paint the picture for us here we are on the radio it's not like i can show you pictures i'm gonna Clapper vision with pictures and metaphors, just like Chick Hearn and Vin Scully. Let's go to red number one. Where did you grow up and what, what kind of town was it? Um, coal mining, heavy industry, armament building, shipbuilding. Wife beating, beer drinking, town. Because of town. Big city, small town. What was it like growing up, living in that place? Uh, it was exciting from a musical point of view. Uh, I had a great musical uh, uh, education there. It was a great ja jazz club there and a rock, a good rock and roll scene there. Every night of the week there would be like a different facet of music. Next. How in, in a small town in England did you discover American blues? Um, it's a seaport. And seamen used to bring records from America. And uh, they would bring things like Tennessee Ernie Ford and Frank Sinatra. And uh, amongst the records would be Fats Domino and Chuck Berry. And uh, they would give them to me because they didn't understand them. So I you know, got off on, on the records that they used to bring me. And my whole musical education is just strictly through American records. So, so. I want you to hear about these records. Go to Yellow 5. And uh, I came in touch with it personally because I had a seaman who lived uh, downstairs to me in the next apartment. He would go to um, America on regular trips. He was a Frank Sinatra, big band, Count Basie fan. Mm -hmm. He would bring back records that he liked. And there would be these rhythm and blues records that were used as packaging material. And he would yeah. discard them. I would grab them and I had a, a small wind-up record player and put it, put it on the record player. And suddenly wow. there was yeah. Wyoming Harris, Don't Roll His Bloodshot Isaac May. And, uh, uh, the early stuff was uh, even um, 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 Bill Haley and yeah. the Comets and that kind of thing. And I said, he said, wow, there's a, wor a world of music here. You know, w would, would you get me some more? So consequently, that, that happened more than just myself. There are collectors in England who have unexplainable collections of records that are all scratched on one side and perfect on the other. It's because they were used as packaging material <laughs> for the big artists. Elvis. Unbelievable. Packaging material. Discarded. That seaman who lived next door to him saw this little kid with the bright eyes and love for American music, happy to take the junk. Not the Sinatra that the seaman wanted to keep, but the junk that he used as packing material. That's where the House of the Rising Sun came from. Let's go to Yellow One. What do you think it was? Well, what, I think what we picked up on was something that America let drop or forgot for a while, and that was your, your own very homegrown folk, folk music and blues elements that had been 
around in this country since the turn of the century. Because that song, uh, The House of the Rising Sun, was an old, old song. And I, yeah. I know you've done some research on it. How, how old do you think it was? How far back do you think it went in this country? Well, as far as I can uh, assemble it, uh, as old as 300 years. Mm -hmm. 300 years! So he didn't have to write any new songs, but he put a rock and roll spin on those songs. Number two. And uh, came across the Atlantic with the uh, with the immigrants and somehow found found its way to New Orleans. How did you first hear that song? And whom? Can you recall? I can't remember where I first heard it. Um, my first conscious recording of it was uh, Josh White. Mm -hmm. Who was... Um, uh, he was part of the folk explosion right yeah. after World War II. Josh yeah. White and yeah. Richard Dyer Bennett was one of those yeah. guys, and uh, Burl Ives came along at about the same time, and they started sure. singing. I think I guess in coffee houses in Greenwich Village in New York City, yeah. bringing that to the attention of some of the American public. But it never broke out. A song's a song, though. Rebecca's downloaded Bob Dylan actually singing "House of the Rising Sun" for 300 years. Many people sang that song, but nobody, nobody sang it with that soulfulness of Eric Burden because he knows what that song is really about. Number three. No, it never broke out until ten, a decade or so later when Bob Dylan took the same route mm -hmm. as, a, as a, another, another folk singer in the coffee bars of Greenwich Village, which was, but it was a, it was a later generation and of course, uh, the recording uh, industry had picked up somewhat since since then. It wasn't uh, so much of a struggle for the folk artists to get to the recording uh, facilities. And I mean, Bob has to be um, uh, no notarized for being responsible for researching the lyrics to that song and bringing more of the lyrics to my attention mm -hmm. uh, than I'd ever known before. Eric Burden understood struggle watching his family, his neighbors, his friends not get jobs, struggle to live and could relate to the plight of the African-American in America, even though he's in England. Finally, number four. Well, I mean, in terms of histrionics, it, 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 you can read in the history books and see that, that a part of the um, politicization of racism in the South, there mm -hmm. was a period where um, it was uh, advised that white folks don't listen or buy black folks music. I mean, mm -hmm. it was an actual movement. And um, so rhythm and blues was, was frowned upon for, for a long time. Blues music was frowned upon for a long time. The music business was Eric Burden's surfboard. The surf wax, the traction, the texture that kept him on that magic carpet was old R&B songs from the South, from the Black South that he adopted in House of the Rising Sun. Don't let me be misunderstood. We got to get out of this place. These are classic songs in rock and roll because of Eric Burden looking for surf wax in his life. Coming up next, wait till you hear the surf wax in sports. The story of Phil Knight will amaze you. We'll get into it. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 7710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. With tinted windows. Can you imagine? Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. While I'm in Italy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. In this sturdy old part of the city Where the sun refused to shine Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's Eric Burden of the Animals using music as his surf wax. Stay on that magic carpet of music to get the hell out of his neighborhood. And that's what this song is all about. we got to get out of this place. Mm. Nobody has the soul, that voice. He hits you right in the chest when he sings. But what about in the world of sports? 
in the world of sports. Nike. Phil Knight. And it's so interesting to me. You hear an Eric Burden sing. Eric Burden is 81 years old. Phil Knight is 84 years old. Think about it. This is how cool life is. Here's a guy in England trying to figure out his surf wax of getting out using music. Phil Knight is at the University of Oregon. Same time he's graduating in 1959. And he's on the track team, the cross-country team. He's a miler. And he's no slouch. He's very self-deprecating. But he ran a mile in four minutes and 13 seconds. That's not breaking the four-minute mile, but that's damn fast. And his track coach at the University of Oregon was a man named Bill Bowerman who influenced this young track athlete in a way that changed the world of sports. The fascinating start of the biggest company in the world for sports apparel and sneakers will fascinate you. Let's go right to the beginning. Let's go to Phil Knight's crazy idea. It was a crazy idea to the outside world, but it never really was to me. That uh, It was always a big hope. Mm. That hope first flickered here at storied Hayward Field at the University of Oregon, where Knight was a mid-distance runner. Did you like the roar of the crowd? Very much. <laughs> I didn't get that many. but uh... <laughs> He wasn't the fastest, but he just might have been the smartest. I came here as a 17-year-old, just very uncertain of everything, and met Bill Bowerman, and I've often said, if there's no Bill Bowerman, there's no me. This is the value of teaching. For me, it was meeting an art history professor at Columbia who changed my life. I didn't know one end of a museum from another. I didn't know one end of Michelangelo from another. I'm going to digress right now. You know the word education, right? We always think of the teacher and the student. You're getting an education, high school, college, for me, medical school, residency. Now I teach young surgeons. Education. You know where that word comes from? It comes from the Latin word educare. You know what that means in Latin, educare, that becomes education? This is how brilliant the Greeks were. Educare means to draw out. That's right. Here I've thought all these years that a teacher is giving new information to a student. That's my understanding of the word education. But it's wrong. The Greeks came up with that word, which means draw out. In other words, the masterpiece is already in the student. The educator is actually drawing it out of the student. That's true education. Not, hey, I'm smart, let me teach you something that you never knew before. No, you're smart, and I'm going to make you smarter by pulling it out of you. That's exactly what happened to Phil Knight when he met his track coach. This is not someone he's meeting in the classroom. But the best education, the biggest education Phil Knight got was from his track coach. Why? What was it? Well, because Bill Bowerman loved to fool around and tinker with the shoes, with the sneakers. And this made the biggest impression on his student, Phil Knight. Number two. Bill Bowerman was Knight's coach. He was obsessed with tearing apart track shoes and reassembling them, oh. creating sort of a Franken-shoe Franken of his very shoe. own. What were they like? Well, they were just, the he, he would make them out of goat skin, and so they would just be, have almost no form in the upper, and then he'd get a spike plate taken off another shoe and then glue it on. They oh. were pretty ugly, but they were light. And uh, I was one of his guinea pigs, and that, uh, you know, kind of planted a seed. That seed took root while getting his MBA at Stanford. Knight wrote a paper outlining a strategy of manufacturing running shoes in Japan where the labor was cheaper. You know why he wrote that paper? 
because Phil Knight started to realize that German cameras, Canon, suddenly were losing market share to Nikon, the Japanese camera company, to the point that they were really almost obliterating the German camera. Phil Knight got this coach ripping apart track shoes, making them lighter, spikier, whatever the hell he's doing. Hey, maybe the Japanese, just like they did with the camera business, maybe I can get a Japanese track shoe and see if I can take over the world of track shoes with the Japanese. This is is what he's thinking. Because his coach, Educare, drew it out of him. Number three. Well, ever since I wrote it, it was sort of ticking away in there. It just kept kind of growing. After graduating, Knight put his paper into action, convincing a Japanese company to let him distribute their brand of running shoe, called Tigers, here in the U.S. He began selling them out of the trunk of his car. His initial investment, a thousand bucks that he split 50-50 with his new partner and former coach, Bill Bowerman. People say, oh, I hear what Knight's doing to the Stanford MBA. He's peddling Japanese track shoes. That was a pretty big joke at the time. But I wanted it, so I said, I got to try it. I got to try it. Mm. And coming up, this next soundbite is the surf wax. This is where the brilliant idea from Bowerman, not from Phil Knight, but he's his partner now, with the waffle iron. You got to listen to this. Next. By 1971, their little shoe company had sales of $1.3 million and a new innovation, thanks to Bowerman's unlikely experiment with his wife's waffle iron. He put urethane in there. He says, maybe that's the pattern. That's a different pattern that breaks up that should give you more traction and more cushioning. The result was the waffle trainer, Mm. a new kind of sole that Knight wanted to manufacture under his own brand. What was the name you wanted? No, Dimension 6. Dimension 6. Which no one... <laughs> a hard time fitting on a heel tab, wouldn't it? <laughs> Why Dimension 6? Well, there was a fifth dimension, right? So we wanted to be an extra dimension. But no one bought that idea. Nobody liked it. <laughs> Guess who came up with the name Nike? Phil Knight came up with the name Fifth Dimension. Have a seat, Phil. You're not good at coming up with names. But their very first employee, now that they're selling shoes, they're making money, the first employee... He came up with the name. Listen to this. Next. Mercifully, (laughs) an employee proposed another name, Nike, the Greek goddess of victory. But Knight wasn't crazy about it, nor did he like the logo. The wing, as it was called then, a design he actually paid a college student just 35 bucks to draw, was supposed to symbolize the sound of speed. But Knight thought it just looked like a big fat check mark. Nothing ever stands out and says, boy, that's it. There's not a (laughs) eureka moment that, uh, for me, that uh, in almost all these things, I just say, okay, that's the best we can do. Let's go. Yeah, stay in your lane, LeVar Burton would say, right? Stick to what you know. Phil Knight doesn't know how to come up with the name. The employee did. And here's the next part of the story. What about the logo? The most famous logo in the world, the Nike swoosh. Listen to this story. Next. Marketing was never Knight's thing. In fact, he hated advertising. But he soon realized that well-known athletes wearing his shoes could speak and sell volumes. Romanian tennis pro Ilya Nastasi was the first big name signed. John McEnroe would soon follow. And then came a 21-year-old basketball phenom from the University of North Carolina. Shot Jordan, Michael Jordan. Next. When you first signed Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. People thought you were nuts, right? Well, Fortune Magazine ran a story about how Nike has lost its way by paying so much money for this basketball player. This you can buy. You cannot do this. Can, can, can. How much did you pay? The first year was like 250000 a year. And he hadn't played a single game in the NBA at that point? No, but he'd been player of the year in the, in the NCAA. The Air Jordan became so popular, people were willing to kill for them. And they did. In the early 90s, a string of shootings and stabbings over the shoes made headlines. That was just a shock. The reaction is, this is insane, and it's a shock. In terms of just the desirability, it had reached sort of this cultural, it was more than just a shoe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. It became more than a shoe. Surf wax is more than surf wax. Surf wax attaches you to that dream 
of not falling off the board, that magic carpet. Just like Eric Burden, founded in the music from America, as an English kid in a hopeless town, changed the world. It's an awesome story. And it's fun to be able to connect the dots of art, sports, and surgery. And certainly food. There's a donut that employs this idea of being sticky enough to have traction. And I'd never had it before. Wait till I tell you what I'm talking about. Coming up next. And coming up next, let's do some clap revision. I can do it with you. 877-710-ESPN. What a day in surgery I had yesterday and even on Wednesday. How do you make the leg links when you do someone's hip replacement equal to the other side? Oh, my God. And one of the patients I did, an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction, tore his ligament in his knee. But he listened to me. I made him wait because he also tore his other ligaments in his knee in this horrific injury. But I made him wait. Sit tight. Let's not do the surgery right away. Let the other structures heal. I'll fix your ACL, but I won't have to do a lot more than that if we let your body heal the other injuries that can heal on their own. And I'll explain, but I also want to get into some clapper vision with football players because a lot of them are going down. All these fantasy football requests are going to go right out the window because it's all about injuries. T.J. Watt, Justin Herbert, and Dak Prescott. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The most gifted physical specimen I've ever seen. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Tell me music isn't like a medicine. Don't tell me when you hear the sandals playing the theme of Bruce Brown, a good friend who made this movie. Theme from the endless summer. That this doesn't lower your blood pressure, calm you down. There's no words, it's just the theme. And those storms in the ocean right now are making wonderful waves. I had the good fortune of going Sunday morning. I got a big award on Sunday, the Daytime Beauty Awards. Tony Danza flew in from New York just to give me the award. How nice was that? It was such a special evening. If you go on Twitter, you'll see pictures. I was on Entertainment Tonight with Tony Danza because he came in to give me this award. William Shatner, Captain Kirk, did a whole video presentation. It was just awesome. And the whole time I'm sitting there at the table with all these stars Number one, I'm saying to myself, how did I get here? But I'm also saying to myself, I'm the only guy in this room who went surfing this morning because I got up at the crack of dawn Sunday morning. I knew I had to be there at noon. But if you get up at four in the morning, noon is a lot of hours away. And then I went again on Monday. It was glassy. It's like a machine was making the waves. And I used my surf wax so I couldn't fall off my board, my magic carpet in the ocean. It was awesome. Let's talk about T.J. Watt. He's one of the best defensive players 
in the National Football League. And he tore his pec major muscle. I love this muscle. I love this muscle because like all the muscles in your body, we assign a function to it. So right now, take your left hand and squeeze your breast. Squeeze your chest. Take your left hand and squeeze your right chest where your nipple is. Feel your nipple. Right underneath that, that muscle is your pectoralis major muscle. Love this muscle because it begins on your breastbone, the sternum, but it also has anchoring and origins from your collarbone, your clavicle. And it also has origins from your rib cage. Oh my God. These muscles collect and anchor to the top of your arm bone. What I love about the muscle is when the muscle fibers contract, it allows you to bring your arm close to your body, right? But here's the coolest thing about the pec major muscle. As you lift your arm forward, right, you're now rising up your arm to hold a torch, right? At the Olympics, you want to hold that torch with your arm. Forward flexion, we call it. As the angle of your arm changes and the muscle, the same muscle contracts, guess what it also can do? It can rotate your arm and elbow. The torch can now come to your midline. This is what's so fascinating about muscles because they change their functionality. It's not like building a robot, which has one function. You, you press the button, it does this, one, one angle that it works in, not your muscles. As you move the joint, the same muscle contracting goes from not only being an adductor, not only being a forward flexor, but it internally rotates your arm. And my clapper vision that I love about this muscle is your arm is a flagpole. The flag that's flopping in the breeze. You know how a flag attaches to the flagpole? That's your pec major. So if your arm is the flagpole, the flag is the pec major muscle, okay? But if you look under the microscope at the very fibers microscopically and the angle. My dad was a carpenter, so I always loved the grain that's in the wood, right? It's not like looking at a solid piece of plastic. Wood has grain in it. Well, the grain of the muscle under the microscope, the fibers that come from your rib cage down below go north and become the top of the insertion of pectoralis major into the humerus. But here's what's unbelievable. The fibers that come from the clavicle actually dive south. They're the lower fibers that attach to the humerus bone. It twists. And if you look at them, it looks like an X. The top goes south, the bottom goes north. It's like an X. Of, of fibers. Why would our bodies do that? Because when you twist, you get the ability to rotate. You also get increased strength when you twist something. When we forge steel, we harden it by twisting it, by working it. That's that's the necessary part of this fascinating muscle. But like most things in life, when they tear, the key question you need to ask your orthopedic surgeon, when you tear something, your rotator cuff, for example, your Achilles tendon, very common things to tear, your medial collateral ligament, I need you now as junior orthopedic surgeons to ask, is it a full tear or is it partial? I know a lot of surgeons who still will take you to surgery 
put stitches in something that's only partially torn. Here's the beauty of partial. The other part is still intact. And for 33 years, 100 patients a week I see, 500 surgeries a year I do, I ain't operating on someone who's partially torn. I'd rather God do the rest and heal the, the, part, the part that's torn because I know the other part is still okay. If you're aggressive as a surgeon, you'll tell the patient, oh, no, we still should go in and put stitches in something that's partially torn. No! That's why I love that T.J. Watt got lots of opinions, and I can promise you this. Some of those opinions told him to have surgery. I love that he didn't have surgery for his pec major tear. I love that. The other clap revision I really want to talk about is Dak Prescott and Justin Herbert. Your ribcage is like a bird in a birdcage. It's like a fence, that white picket fence that goes around the house because that ribcage has two functions. One, it's a fence around your heart, your lungs, your vital organs. But it also gives strength to your spine. There's not ribs on every part of your spine. It's only in the middle, the thoracic spine, your neck, your cervical spine, your lower back, your lumbar spine. They don't have ribs. That's why it's called the thoracic spine. It gives you strength. And as I said earlier, it's one of the anchoring sites for the pec major. But I don't like that his cartilage is fractured because the blood supply to bone is different. It's better for bone than it is for cartilage. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories because today's topic is fascinating to me. All about surf wax, texture, keeping you on your surfboard on that magic carpet when you want to go from point A to point B. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.